Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. But of course, Holy Week brings us to the end of Lent. And I want to congratulate those of you who are here. Again, online, in person, however you've been on this journey of Lent with us. Because my contention has always been that the lightweights, the people who like the idea of Lent, but don't really want to walk the path of Lent, you know, the sort of pseudo, I'm just kind of rebooting my New Year's resolution people, those folks fell off a long time ago. They're hammering the chocolate, they're doing all, you know, whatever. You have, and that's no judgment. No judgment on that. You do you. But my conviction is if we're still here on Palm Sunday, it's because what we do here matters. There's a conviction inside of us that there is something that is life-changing, that is at the core of this story that we tell every year, and it never gets old. And so if you're still here, my conviction is that you are dialed in, that the cross matters to you. And that's how we're going to end this, seri- this sermon series that we've been doing called Baked In. Now, we might not understand Lent all the time, but there are things in our lives that we, can, that we can extract and experience that teach us what Lent is really all about. And the last point I want to make in this series, and the point of our sermon today, is that while Lent might elude us at times, indeed may have eluded us over the last six weeks, like, what are we even doing here, people? That even if Lent has eluded you, you still care about the cross and what happened to Jesus on that day. And so as today, as we kick off Holy Week, we, like Jesus, I want to encourage you to what the scriptures say Jesus fixed his eyes on the cross. One of the most moving scripture, uh, one of the most moving verses in all of scripture comes to us out of the book of Mark, right after the transfiguration. Jesus goes up on the mountain. He has this experience of God with his best friends. He sees Elijah and Moses. It's this huge, glorious thing. And then as soon as Jesus comes down the mountain, the next verse says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that image strikes me. He set his face, a jaw clenched, not with anger, but with conviction, That from transfiguration, it was a straight line to Jerusalem, that which we celebrate this day, and to his cross, which we celebrate on Friday. Jesus doesn't avoid it. Jesus doesn't look away. Jesus isn't surprised by the cross. He's not trying to figure out a way to negotiate all this. No, Jesus sets his face and heads to the cross. And surely we've done this throughout Lent. We knew the cross was coming, right? Like, that's not a surprise. But today we do so, and I want to invite you to do so with even more clarity and greater conviction. This, what we celebrate over the next week, has changed the world and still has the power to change us. But what might escape us, what might make this day difficult, is how we get from today to the cross. I remember as a kid, this used to bother me. I'm like, why all this celebrating? Like, who puts the bells up when we know the cross is coming in like five days? I mean, it sounds wonderful, but like there always was this, there always was this tension about this day. There's the shadow of the cross, and sometimes it's like, do we, even, do we even know what's coming? Like, we shouldn't be celebrating. We should be kind of getting nervous, kind of getting upset a little bit. How is it that we go from Hosanna to crucify him with such swiftness? 
And for me, because I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, you know, we've heard that sermon before. You know, the people change so quickly on Jesus. I want to pause you on that because for me, the idea that we humans are fickle doesn't fully explain the powerful emotions throughout this story. Like, I would not, if it was me and I was super disappointed in Jesus, I wouldn't be crying crucified and be like, ah, I'm moving on. Maybe I grow up, maybe, I, maybe I'm part of an apathetic generation, I don't know. But if I was like, yeah, I'm all about this guy, and then he kind of turns on me, like, yeah, I'll make a Twitter post, and then I'm just moving on to the next thing. I don't know that I'm showing up to cry, crucify him, kill him. So there's something for me that is deeper and more fundamental and core to our reality as humans going on here today. And I posit that this last Sunday of Lent is a critical lesson. In fact, I, su- I want to suggest to you that all the celebrations that are coming cannot be understood until we wrap our minds around what happens on this day. And the theme for today is the theme of kingdom. And when I say kingdom, I mean all the ways that we understand kingdom. Yes, I mean social realities, political realities, economic realities, and religious connotations as well, all coming to bear on this singular moment. And we've told the story of Jesus arriving on this day, but history, not necessarily the scriptures, but history tells us Jesus is not the only royalty who arrives on Palm Sunday. Because remember what our Jewish brothers and sisters are about to celebrate. They are getting ready to head into Passover. And remember that Passover, the time in which Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, is akin to our 4th of July. It is Independence Day. It is, yes, it's a religious holiday. It is also a very political one. Because as Jews from all over the area come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, they are remembering the stories both of their liberation from Egypt and they're also remembering their liberation um, as, as part of the story of the Maccabees and their liberation from the tyrant king Antiochus Epiphany that happened on this day, the man who was sacrificing pigs on the, on the Jewish altar. And so, there is this, so when Jesus arrives, when the people arrive, it is a politically charged environment. And because Israel is not free, Israel is being occupied, it is under an occupying force, that being Rome, well, the occupier knows on a day where there's a lot of political tension, the leadership's got to be in town. The leadership is Pilate. Pilate is the representative of Caesar, who is the emperor. Israel is part of an empire. Caesar rules this empire. Pilate is his representative. And Pilate knows that this riffraff out in the country is more than likely to make a bit of a fuss. And so what he does to make sure that everyone understands where real power lies, to make sure that everyone gets that this is going to be a calm and and proper celebration, is that he also makes a procession into the city on this day. And he comes flexing muscle. We know from other sources that he entered from the West. And he came from the West on a war horse. And descriptions tell us that he came with about a thousand soldiers armed to the teeth. And you can imagine the military parade that would have happened into the West Gate of the city as Pilate enters in on his huge horse. This is clearly an act of intimidation. But this is what empire does, right? We're here, nobody get out of line, everybody goes home safe. But step out of line, and we will take care of business. 
Keep that image in your mind because we have the exact opposite image in the story that we read today. Pilate's coming in from the west. Jesus enters from the east. Jesus' arrival is not accompanied by soldiers. He's accompanied by peasants. They're armed not with swords and shields. They're armed with foliage, which for the gardeners around us might be interesting, but not particularly good in a battle. And Jesus comes riding not a war horse. Jesus comes riding a donkey. Now, on one hand, I absolutely believe to the core of my being that Jesus is mocking Rome with this. You got your big horse. I'm going to find a donkey, not even a donkey that's like been used. I'm going to find a brand new donkey, probably not even a full grown one, so that Jesus is like probably has to do like the Fred Flintstone walk alongside of it because the thing is so small. I'm going to find a new but kind of pathetic donkey if you want to make a point. No offense to the donkey, trust me. But Jesus also knows what he's doing because he calls back to the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah, who also lived in an occupied land and was exiled and was trying to give a good word to his people, who wrote generations before, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. And Zechariah isn't just saying the scene, he, he gives an indication of mission. He said, he will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. Interesting. And the, battle bow, bow he sh- and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. He's not just making fun of Rome, although Israel was used to making fun of empire. That's kind of Israel's jam. But everything Jesus does on Palm Sunday is to take on this mantle. And Israel understood quite clearly the claim that Jesus is making. I am that king. Jesus is making a direct, full frontal challenge to Caesar, to Herod, to Pilate, and to the religious systems that upheld them both, them all. And quite literally, it is a clash, one from the east and one from the west. This explains the reaction of the Pharisees. I know they get a bad rap. I think they're spot on here in a certain kind of way. Because they're like, y'all got to be quiet. Like the dude with the swords is coming in the other direction and wants no, and will suffer no fools. Can you keep it down? Absolutely pragmatic. Can we at least grant the Pharisees that for a little bit? They're like, we don't want to get slaughtered before the Passover because we're making a stink on the other side of the city that we've got a whole other king. The Pharisees understand better than some of the folks about this clash that is coming to bear. But Jesus is not backing down. He's not apologizing for his kingdom. And as he will tell us later, he says, look, they could do whatever they want. My kingdom is not of this world. It is not of the stuff of this world. It is not the stuff of Caesar and of empire. They can have their swords. I'm doing something different. So in this inaugural event of Holy Week, Jesus announces without question and without equivocation that he is a king set up as an alternate to the kingdom that is the kingdom populated and ruled by Herod and Pilate and religious elites and the kingdom that runs on power, violence, and destruction. There is no blending Jesus is not here to negotiate with Caesar. 
There is no idea of, well, let's sing about Rome. Let's sing a national anthem while we say our prayers. Oh, no, no, no. Nationalism at home and abroad is a mutation of Jesus' witness here on this day. He stands completely opposed to it. The question that is left for us, us worshipers on Palm Sunday, is the kind of kingdom, the kind of king that Jesus is, is that the king we want? Are we sure? Are we saved by powers and principalities? Or are we saved by the one who made himself nothing and took on the very form of a servant? Throughout this week, we will see both these kingdoms make their case. We'll hear on Thursday that the currency of the kingdom, what our economy is in Jesus' kingdom, is a meal with no head at the table, no servant or master, just mutual foot washing. For those of you who are, ups- who are worried, we won't actually wash feet. I know that's funny for some folks. But you take the point. Our economy is mutual service. We're here on Friday. The kings don't suffer challenges to the thrones as we watch a state-sponsored execution framed in the guise of religious and ideological purity. But the kingdom of Jesus meets this violence not with violence, save for one, and Jesus chewed Peter out for that. It meets that violence with forgiveness. And nevertheless, in the most ironic twist of all, The king on that Good Friday is crowned with the declaration, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. But he's crowned not with the gold crown of Herod or Pilate, but with the crown of thorns that we know so well. And the question throughout this week is, does this kingdom have staying power in the world? Can a world of peace, inclusion, and love actually work? Well, we'll explore that on Sunday. But the choice is still before us. Let us take courage from this day. Because so often we hear, well, everybody turned, everybody, you know, again, that sermon of, well, they cheered him one day and they crucified him the next. Well, slow down. Not everyone missed it. Sometimes we're a little too hard on ourselves. Not everyone missed it. People like the person Jesus healed right before he came into town, people like Bartimaeus saw it had his eyes open, could understand what Jesus was all about. There were even rich elite people like Nicodemus, who through it all still were at the foot of the cross. There were some who knew that God was up to something and saw something new breaking into the world. And maybe that gives us hope, because we're invited to see it too, and to join not only in the cries of Hosanna, but even more fully to join in the ways of peace. As the the world that we currently occupy more brazenly rejects the things that make for peace, we understand the lament that Jesus had over Jerusalem. And perhaps we shed a tear, as Jesus once did, for the world that simply does not understand the things that make for peace anymore. But we can yet still give ourselves. We still have a choice before us to give ourselves to a kingdom of peace, of freedom, and of joy. As Zechariah envisioned that we would, We read that passage famously, the colt, the foal of a donkey, yes, but the verse immediately after that envisions a world that is different because of this king. It says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Waterless pit would have been a cistern that had dried up, a symbol of agricultural neglect 
And people were being imprisoned in these things. It is a nightmarish scenario. And Jesus said, even in your, Zechariah says, the king will come and he will rescue you from the nightmare of being stuck in the dark of a waterless pit. He says, return to your fortress, Zechariah says, you prisoners of hope. Oh, that we might be prisoners of hope this week. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Hope is coming. Restoration is coming. Joy, even, is coming. So may we who call ourselves Christians, the ones who follow the way of Jesus, may we have the courage to take the lead in the things that make for peace and prove ourselves to be followers this week of the one who is the Prince of Peace. And in doing so, may, may through our witness, may the world know the things that make for peace.